This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. Dear esteemed scientist, your research is extremely uh, interesting to me. Let me know if we can talk about a position in your lab. Deleted. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we open the mailbag to answer your questions about scientific impact, finding postdocs in other countries, and which lab equipment we wish we had at home. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 160. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Dan. We are in the heat of summer. How are you holding up? Uh, it is extraordinarily and painfully hot outside. It is like, don't even bother going out. It's not worth it. Yeah, I think it was a few weeks ago now that I was reading that temperatures were registering in the 100 degrees in Canada for the first time. Probably not good to think about that too long. <laughs> That's right, the heat dome. Oh, it is good to think about it and then do something about it. You know, Dan, on on a lighter note... In celebration of summer, I have something here that will help to cool us off. Our beer today is from Noda Brewing Company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and this is the Margarita Ghost. Um, festive can. It's got a little lime emblazoned on the the uh, title there, and it's surrounded by what looks like, is it like agave and a monstera leaf? I'm not really sure what's going on in this can. I'm going to identify the botanical origins of all of these leaves, and then I'll get back to you. Lots of flowers. The marketing speak says uh, it's a ghost beer with lime and tangerine. And so, Dan, you're, uh, you've had a margarita before, I'm assuming. I have had one or two in my day. How does this compare for you? This does not taste like a margarita to me, but it is a delicious... Uh, it's a very light beer. There's, there's not much... Um, it's not very malty. It's not very thick. I think it's 4% ABV. But it is refreshing, and uh, I could definitely I appreciate this one cold on a hot day like today. Absolutely, and, and I'm definitely getting the lime, a little bit of the orange. I can't tell if it's actually coming from the beer or if it's psychosomatic because it says margarita on the can. I almost feel like I'm, I'm getting a hint of salt on my palate, but I think I might just be imagining that. Part of the ghost style, right? Um, do you get any tequila flavor? Because then I would actually think you're hallucinating. Only from the tequila I added to my glass before we started. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> tequila bombed ghosts, yeah. All right, Dan. I'm excited about our show today. We're going to answer some listener emails and messages, which is always fun. But before we do that, we want to thank our friends at Promega. Being a scientist is more than just running experiments and analyzing data. Whether you're giving a presentation at a conference or writing an article on your recent results, Promega can help. Just head to the Student Resource Center to check out webinars on scientific writing and poster presentations starring you and I, Dan. You can visit promega.com slash HelloPhD if you'd like to learn more. And of course, Josh, as you know, research can move slowly, but you don't have to. Accelerate your research with BioBox Analytics. Analyze and explore your genomic data on demand. No coding skills required. You sign up for free at biobox.io. All right, Dan, let's dip into the mailbag. All 
right, Dan. I'm pulling out an envelope here from the big bag of mail and opening, uh, peeling the stamp off for later. You're really painting a, a <laughs> picture for the listeners. <laughs> uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you unfold this one and and give it a read? Okay, our first email that you unfolded from its paper <laughs> came from Kyle. He says, Hi, hello, Dan and Joshua. Just finished listening to your podcast on how to plan your PhD with Hugh Kearns. The first one of yours I've listened to after one of my advisors sent me the link to your site. Uh, first off, thank you to that advisor. Second. Great, great advisor, sounds like. Really Really great notch. advisor. Stick, stick with that person. Uh, Kyle continues, I had to send an email saying that in the 50 minutes of the podcast, it changed my perspective on where I am currently in my PhD journey. And more importantly, that the bumps I hit and feeling of never moving forward are not unique to just me. Thanks again and keep up the good work. Uh, and, you know, this is the exact kind of email we love to get, Josh, because Kyle is not the only one hitting bumps in grad school. And until he joined the conversation, listened to the podcast, wrote to us, he didn't realize that. And so I just, I'm so thrilled that this advisor um, helped share the, the podcast, and I hope everybody listening will do the same. This This reminds me, I was having a conversation just this past week where uh, a colleague asked me about why we started doing a podcast in the first place. And I can remember was it, that. Was it really sarcastic? Like, why would you do this? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was remembering that first conversation we had, Dad, where we we conceived of doing uh, doing this podcast. And, you know, I was sharing some experiences that I'd had, some conversations I'd had with some current grad students. And we very quickly realized that grad students today were dealing with a lot of the same issues that we were dealing with back in our day um, in training. And so often you do feel like you're alone. And that's some of the real challenges of having those feelings is feeling like, well, there must be something wrong with me because I'm struggling in this way. And there's a lot of comfort that can be derived from realizing like, okay, well, this part, this is actually hard for everyone. This is not just a me problem. So I'm really glad to hear uh, Kyle getting a change of perspective from, uh, from that episode. Absolutely. And and hopefully Kyle will share the uh, show with a couple other people and also send us questions and thoughts and ideas for episodes. We are always looking for the pulse of what's happening in grad school today. Some things don't change, but some things do. And, and we won't know those things unless you write to us or um, hit us up on Twitter at HelloPhD. That's absolutely right, Dan. Well, I'm going to pull out this stone tablet with the second message that we received. And oh, wow. That, the postage <laughs> must have been terrible. Uh, no, su- super expensive. All right. So this one comes from Lexi, and, and it says, Hi, Josh and Dan. I recently had the joy of discovering your podcast. I've already learned so much. I will be applying to PhD programs this fall because I really want an academic job where I would have the balance of discovering slash creating and disseminating knowledge. I'm studying math and geophysics, and I'm feeling very torn on which type of programs I should apply to. On one hand, I could apply to applied math or mathematically oriented earth science PhD programs, where I could work on solving some of the biggest environmental problems we're facing today. Kind of like that heat dome we were just talking about, Dan. Exactly. Uh, This type of work would entail some more boring daily aspects, like checking for errors in code. On the other hand, I could apply to pure math programs where I know I'd enjoy every minute of the day today, but my research would feel much less connected from the real world. This might be a question that only I can answer for myself, but I was wondering if fulfilling daily work or impactful results are more important for happiness in grad school and beyond. Thank you so much, Lexi. Well, Dan, my answer is, Lexi, (laughs) you are the only one who can answer that question. Okay. No, just kidding. So the next email came on a bird. (laughs) 
<laughs> with a mint, no. Lexi, if you have listened to episode 144, uh, where I spoke with Marlis Hansen, who wrote a book called Passion and Purpose, and it's really about identifying the types of skills that you like to use, what she calls motivated abilities. Um, she talks about motivated subject matter. But the I, I really recommend you listen to that episode or go find that book because it describes um, some of what you're what you're talking about with these different programs. So you know that day to day you're going to like some of the more pure math programs because you you like that type of work. On the other hand, you at the end of the day you want to have an impact, or uh, you may like to solve problems. You'll get a, a sense of satisfaction by doing something that actually helps the earth. And what I would say to you is. Um, it's a little bit like your, your career is a little bit like riding a bike on some hilly terrain. So if you're working in a field that uses your motivated abilities and it's motivated subject matter, your bike is like this high end carbon fiber, well oiled 18 speed, right? You're going to even, coast even down an electric hill. bike, an electric bike. It's going to be an electric bike. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to coast because the day to day work that you're doing is just so easy for you. So fun, so motivating. And, and you're going to build up momentum coming off of those things. And so when you hit a challenge, you're going to have a, a, an easier time climbing the hills that come up. But, but the issue is that when you hit a longer hill, a steeper hill, you do need that sense of motivation. You need the thing that says, okay, keep pedaling. I know this is hard, but there's something in the back of your mind that motivates you to keep pushing a little bit further because it, it won't be easy every day and it won't be just fun. Um, and so the, the trouble is if you get into a program where you're not using your skills that are, that you're motivated to use, you're riding this like flat tire, rusty, squeaky, uh, bike and even going downhill, you're pedaling, right? Because it's, it's so against your nature to be doing this kind of work. You're going to stop dead at the bottom. You're going to have no momentum. And when you hit even the smallest hill, even if you're really excited about the impact that you could have, uh, you'll be too exhausted. And so I guess my advice is try to combine them because it is nice to have both. But if you have to pick between them, try to maximize the the work that you do that you're motivated to do, the motivated abilities that you can use. And I think when you do that, you will meet with success. And that opens up a lot of doors. Uh, people who are really excellent in their fields, who are successful, who push the boundaries, uh, they get invited to do a lot of different things. And so by meeting with that success, I think other opportunities will open up and you'll be able to find some of those impacts that you're looking for. I totally agree, Dan. I think that's great advice. And, you know, I like the analogy of riding the bike up a hill. And as we've talked about a lot of times on the show, and as we, as, as we mentioned, we were discussing Kyle's email, you are going to face challenges. It's whether when you do, you interpret those as exciting, uh, exciting challenges or demotivating barriers. And so I think the closer that your, your research and your experience, your career is aligned with the things that motivate you, um, when those hills inevitably come, you're going to be excited to, to pedal up them to get to the other side. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, Lexi mentions maybe error checking code is not the best thing, not a motivated ability. But I think you've got to understand for yourself, how often do I have to do that? If it's not very often, then you know, having that little interaction with the impact that you want to have on, on geophysics or applied science is going to be great. Um, so it, it's really figuring out the balance between the things you love doing, the things you don't love doing. And um, the best way to find some of those things out, Josh, are informational interviews. 
talking to existing graduate students, finding out what their days look like, because you may have this vision of pure math and assume that it's one way, but the reality is the, the pure mathematicians are uh, TAing classes or grading papers all day, or who knows, I have no idea what <laughs> applied or pure mathematicians do. Um, but again, your imagination of it and the reality of it might be different, and you can figure that out by talking to people. And there might be ways to connect it to a real-world impact that you haven't considered yet, right? That you may discover as you talk to other uh, theoretical mathematicians, people going through that process. The other thing I want to say, Dan, and Lexi didn't explicitly say this, but but I'm curious, is, you know, for a lot of students, we hear the exact opposite of what Lexi's describing here, that the thing that demotivates them is they don't see the connection of the work they're doing to the real True. world. And, and obviously Lexi is really motivated and excited by doing math, the theoretical math. And one, I think that's great that, that Lexi has done this self-reflection to have a good understanding of the types of things that, um, that are motivating. But I wonder if there's a little bit of, thinking like, well, maybe I should be more excited about this like real world, big picture, high impact research, because I think that's what most people think is cool and what most people want to do. So maybe that's what I should be more excited by as well, but I'm actually not. And if you're not, that's great. I think every person's career is such an individualized journey and um, experience. And so I would say if you have a clear vision of your passion and you have an opportunity to pursue the thing that you think aligns with it, that's absolutely the right thing to do right now. Yeah, that is such a good point and, and a very subtle one, Josh. It's, I think I ended up in biomedical graduate school partially because when you say, oh, we're going to work on human health or we're going to cure cancer, that should be motivating. And I thought this was something that I could feel proud of that I was working on those things. The trouble was, that wasn't the thing that naturally motivated me. Um, and I, I have stepped out of that and into a more environmental science realm or a more um, environmental protection role because that's what actually does motivate me. Like human health is great. It's just not my uh, motivator, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. All right, Lexi. Well, hopefully that was helpful advice and certainly keep us posted on what you decide and how it turns out. If we ruin your life, please write to Joshua. <laughs> at... uh, all right, Dan. Let's uh, let's read let's read another uh, telegram that came in here. Okay, this uh, comes from Srijani. I'm a PhD candidate at the Indian Institute of Technology in Kanpur, India. I recently discovered Hello PhD, and I cannot overstate how much I wish I had discovered it earlier. So, thank you for coming up with the podcast. I didn't want to move out of India for my PhD because I wasn't sure I was down with living abroad for five years or so. However, after much deliberation, I've now decided to go for a postdoc, either in the U.S. or Europe. I was wondering if you could talk about the postdoc opportunities that can potentially work for me. I plan to submit my thesis in 2023. Josh, I'm going to leave this one to you since I do not know anything about postdocs, having never done one. One thing I will say is I think it's good that you're thinking about this ahead of time. I think where a lot of grad students fall have pitfalls in their transition after their PhD is they don't start thinking about their next step until it is imminent. The defense date is scheduled. Point, yeah. My first thought was, wow, 2023 is a long way away. But you're right. This is a good time to be starting. 
Yeah, it's a great time to be thinking about it. And another reason that is specific to our current time and place is due to the ongoing pandemic. There are a lot of travel restrictions among countries. And so I know we've had a lot of of challenges for our students um, and postdocs and other scholars um, in other countries wanting to come to the U.S. and certainly other individuals wanting to to move around from country to country. There are just a lot of restrictions that exist right now because of COVID um, that didn't necessarily, um, those barriers didn't necessarily exist before. So I'm sure that's put a lot of careers on hold. A lot of plans um, have changed and continue to change. Absolutely. So I think it's good that with your timeline, you know, 2023 is when you're, you're really targeting to, uh, to make this transition. And the other reason that's good is it's not too early to start making contacts, making connections and networking. So my advice would be if you think you want to do a postdoc in another country, in Europe, in the United States, and, and a lot of this is general advice for anyone looking for a postdoc, I think it's important to be very intentional about the contacts that you send out. So you, di- you didn't mention exactly the type of research you want to do, but I would be thinking a lot about what do I want to get out of my postdoc? What am I trying to learn from that experience and how is it going to help me connect to my next step, the future career that I want? And so then it's a matter of doing some research on who are faculty that maybe you're doing the type of work that you want to do as a postdoc and reaching out to them. And when you do, I think it's very important to be extremely specific about why you are reaching out to them. Um, one of the biggest pitfalls that that people make when they're inquiring about postdoctoral positions and, and really <laughs> positions in general is sending way too general and generic emails. You know, faculty get a lot of emails and they get a lot of emails inquiring about positions, many of which read like spam. Uh, they read like someone wrote an email saying, dear esteemed scientist, your research is extremely uh, interesting to me. Let me know if we can talk about a position in your lab. Deleted. Exactly. It's very clear this email could have been sent to 500 different people on a large mailing list, and it doesn't make sense. And in fact, Dan, I don't run a lab at all. Wait a minute. I'm not esteemed. Everybody hates me. That's right. Uh, You know, I get these emails sometimes, you know, asking if people can work in my lab, and I haven't been in the lab for 10 years. So, uh, and I don't think uh, that's what Johnny is going to do. But my point is, if you're looking for a postdoc, I think it's important for those communications to be really sincere and really well thought out about why are you reaching out to each individual person. Now, the challenge of that, and again, another reason why it's good that you're doing this now, is there's a little bit of work that's going to go into each of those emails you send, each of those communications that you craft, because they are going to be specific for each individual person. So I think it's important to put that work in in advance. So probably what I would recommend at first is that you don't cast a super wide net, but maybe identify three to five different researchers who you think are doing interesting work that you'd like to explore further. Contact them with these very detailed, specific reasons for why you're contacting them um, and 
and ask if you can just uh, talk to them. Ask if you can have a meeting over Zoom if there's or some other uh, virtual setting. If there's anything that's a positive right now, everybody is a lot more comfortable with virtual communication. I'll say also um, be be a bit persistent. As I mentioned before, faculty do get a lot of emails. So if you've really thought out why you're contacting these initial three to five people and you don't hear back, send a follow-up email. Wait, maybe wait a week or two. And if you don't get a response, um, send again and say, hey, this is me again, just reaching out. Uh, my original email may have got lost in the shuffle, but uh, just wanted to reiterate my interest in talking to you a little more about a possible position in your lab. Here's why I think it would be a good fit. And, and chances are, and actually I know this is true for um, faculty sometimes, and honestly this has been true for me sometimes when emails come through. When I get that follow-up email, it, it helps me remember, oh yeah, that's buried down in my inbox. I'm meant to respond to that. I just hadn't got a chance yet. And so I, I one time knew a guy who intentionally ignored the first email from anybody because he, you know, people that were asking for advice or help or an informational interview. And he told me it was uh, because he wanted them to prove that they were actually serious about it. I don't think very many people do it intentionally. I think they're, they're the way you describe Josh, where they just miss it uh, or it falls to the bottom of the inbox. But it, it proves that you are a, a real human being, not a robot. And that you're serious, that you that you were specific twice, and that you wanted to talk to this person. Absolutely. And again, you know, this is not uh, pestering people. It's not. Well, I didn't hear from you in 24 hours, so I'm going to email you again. But if a week or two have gone by, I think it's totally appropriate to uh, send a send a nice, polite reminder email. Show up outside their house with a boombox <laughs> above your head. <laughs> That's right. One other thing I'll say though is so that advice has to do in a lot of ways with sort of cold emailing someone you have not met. It's also possible that you may talk to this person and realize, oh, well, your research looked interesting when I was doing a PubMed search or I was reading your PDFs of your papers, but there really was not a good connection when we, we met in person. But another really great way to find positions is to utilize your networks and your connections. Maybe think a little bit about the research that you're doing now or the research you have done and have you made any collaborations or does your research group now have any connections with any investigators in the United States or in Europe that you've had a chance to interact with or maybe some of your mentors might have a relationship with and they can introduce you? Yeah, you've probably heard this saying before, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And there is a slice of truth to that. A lot of you can really get your foot in the door if you have met someone or you have a connection where someone can introduce you. So, so work your networks. Talk to other mentors or advisors you know to see if maybe they have some connections that might be a good fit for you. And Josh, would all of that advice apply for a, a graduate student in the United States that wants to apply for a postdoc in India or a postdoc in Europe or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Or a postdoc in the United States, right? It's just general advice for postdocs. Yeah, I think it's it's be intentional. Think about uh, avoid blanket emails. And it's going to be a little more work, but really tailor specific communications based on why you are reaching out to specific people. And, you know, that's in your best interest, too. Anyone transitioning into a postdoc position, you want to go somewhere that's going to actually be a good experience to help you get the skills that you need to pursue the career you want to pursue. And work your networks. Um, get advice from your trusted mentors as well. All right. Well, we hope that advice helps and best of luck in 2023 and before because uh, you've got some time. So I'm glad you're using it. 
Josh, our last non-email uh, comes because sometimes we troll around the internet, not just, we don't just look at our inboxes. Um, sometimes we do, sometimes we do use the internet. That is true. Every once in a while. It's a series of tubes, I've been told. The World Wide Web. <laughs> I was cruising through the Lab Rats uh, Reddit, and I saw this question that just piqued my interest, and it's something I've given a lot of thought to. So I will go ahead and read it. Uh, this came from Formal Thought 8537. They said, I'm making soup today, even though it's going to be in the mid-90s. And once again, I really wish I could use magnetic stir bar technology in cooking to keep that stirring while I'm doing other stuff. What lab tech do you think would make home life easier? If you're ever there, that is. Uh, which is a little, <laughs> a little jab about <laughs> what Formal Thought's life is probably like right now, Josh. But do you want to know the, the most common request that I saw on that thread? Parafilm. Oh, that makes sense. With it at home. I mean, wouldn't it be a great substitute for cling wrap, saran wrap, that sort of thing, if you want to cover your leftover dish in the fridge? Yeah, but you would need such a gigantic piece of it. I'm not sure you could even stretch it. You know, it comes in that little, you know, little three-inch square. Oh, they make the, there's the double square ones, too, that are uh, twice as wide. Oh, yeah, yeah. We used to have the double squares. Oh, you're a fancy rich lad (laughs) about the double squares. (laughs) Well, in my postdoc, of course, you know. Uh, people, you know, a lot of people wanted magnetic stir bars, which I would like to point out you can buy. So, um, there is a homebrew store not far from us. And the last time I was in there, uh, it's a homebrew store and garden store. So I go in fairly regularly for garden implements and they do have magnetic stir plates and hot plates and they sell Erlenmeyer flasks. So, uh, I just am looking for an excuse to buy one. Is that right? I would say this is the most common lab equipment with home use that I remember having discussions about in the lab was the, the magnetic stir bar. So glad what to see was, that. What would you do with here. Well, I think it's what, uh, you know, what this poster said, anytime you need to stir something, you know, you always forget, Oh, I came by, I need to like give that a stir. And Oh, I forgot. Cause you're usually, if you're simmering something on the stove, you're probably doing five other things and then you forget and it sticks on the bottom Right. So, yeah, I'm trying to think about would you have to have glass uh, cooking vessels or you think aluminum would be all right? I think that would probably work. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're not going to solve this today. Um, people wanted fume hoods for cutting onions, you know, some sort of laminar flow hoods so that you didn't uh, cry so much. Somebody wanted a vortexer and they didn't say why. And I'm thinking uh, probably for fun. Making, for fun, just to. <laughs> I, but people make those protein powder shakes, and then they have special bottles that you shake the bottle for 100 hours. Like a Vortexer would really make quick work of that. Oh, get this, Dan. Here's an idea about the Vortexer. Making cocktails. Oh, nice. Shaken, not stirred. Vortex, not shaken. You know, if you, really, if, if you go to a really nice bar and you have a bartender who really takes their craft seriously, and they're shaking a drink, a drink that needs to be shaken... They might shake it for a good 15, 20 seconds. I mean, they're breaking a little bit of a sweat. Imagine at home, you know, you mix your ingredients, you just pop it on the Vortexer for about 5, 10 seconds. That's going to be a well-mixed drink. It's going to be a big Vortexer, though, to accept a, a shaker. Those well, are... that's, why, that's why I make my drinks in conical tubes, Dan. <laughs> in epidorm tubes or micro cocktails. That's a new trend. 
Uh, somebody asked for a graduate student to do all the chores at home. That didn't mm. fair. I, I would amend that to say an undergrad, but... Yeah, fair enough. But, but then you'd have to do it all again because it wouldn't always be done exactly the way you wanted. Um, this I have not seen, but I would totally love this. Floor pedals to control the taps in the sink. I, mean, I, don't, like, remember, like I don't remember we, my lab having that. We didn't either. The, the person said that they were in an older building, but it, it totally makes sense to me that if my hands have like chicken juice on them, I, I guess you can you can get the thing where you just like pass your wave your hand in front of it. Do you have one of those? You wave your hand in front of the faucet. I don't, but I do always think about that when my hands are, are dirty handling like raw meat or something. And I realize like, well, this is probably bad. I have to touch the faucet to turn it on. I do it anyway, but you're right. The foot pedals would be, would be a great idea. Um, I will say, Dan, one thing that is pretty brilliant. I, I may have mentioned it on the show, but I have a camper, um, you know, like a, like a trailer yep. you can tow behind your truck and go camping in. And it actually has a toilet in it. And to flush it, you step on it. You step a little on a little pedal. You don't have to touch anything. And why are not toilets like that? It seems like that'd be more sanitary. Yeah. Why would you use your hands? Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's all makes sense. So I I will post a link to the Reddit thread. But Josh, are there things that I didn't say that you wish you had? Because I have a list of things that I wish I had, and some of which I've actually purchased for myself. Uh, sometimes wish that I had a dissection kit. Because uh, there have been several times I wanted to have some of these really, these really fine-tipped forceps to uh, to grab things, you know, in a really uh, precise way. If you're ever uh, dissecting a worm at home for fun, or what, <laughs> why do you need a dissection? <laughs> your frog Sorry, population is too high in your neighborhood. I just have a squid, a squid sitting around that I need uh-huh. to, to dissect. Uh, what about you, Dan? I'm I'm sure that they will sell you forceps on on Amazon or somewhere. So for me, most of my stuff comes from the kitchen. One thing that that is just random that I feel like should be sold everywhere is the different color of paper tape. That tape is so useful, and I've never seen it at a store, and I don't know why. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm imagining coming over to your kitchen, and every cabinet has a different color lab tape with like sharpie, uh, like exactly. cups, plates silverware but why don't they sell that at the store or do they i don't know it's great tape i mean it's great tape and you have to buy it from thermo fisher or whatever and have an account it makes no sense anyway um in the kitchen i, I definitely have a kitchen scale which i feel like is a little bit sciencey i measure everything in grams uh because i'm not a monster and i use it for i measure my coffee in the morning when i bake everything is is weighed not um volumized I kind of wish I had pipetters for measuring small volumes sometimes. Like, I feel like if you need a tablespoon, wouldn't it be awesome to just stick the little pipette tip into the bottle of vanilla and squirt it over rather than pouring it? Oh, that would be so much better. Like, let's say you need a tablespoon of, of oil, right? Instead of you trying, you're trying to, like, pick up the bottle, maybe you've got the big bottle, you're trying to, like, pour it carefully in. And then how probably precise is that? It doesn't need to be that precise. This is probably why nobody has it. But how much easier would it be to just grab your little plunger and push it down and, you know, you got the right amount and click your little disposable tip off into the trash can and boom, you're done. I I feel the same way about uh, measuring cups. Like I wish I had a graduated cylinder. A a liquid measuring cup is usually like a two-cup glass Pyrex thing. And it gets wider at the top, so you're getting less accurate as you fill it up. It just makes no sense to me that this is the best we can do for measuring liquids. I know people that own a sous vide. You know, you cook under warm water. That existed in my 
uh, parasitology lab long is before really, I ever... Uh, is that really just like a water bath? I think it's just a hot water bath. Yeah, it just maintains the temperature at a certain temperature. Um, and then most, most of the places that I do own um, are stuff in the garden. Like when I transplant seedlings, I bought myself those chemical spatulas, the ones that are a little metal stick. It's not a stick. It's kind of like a bent metal scoop. Uh, so I can like oh, I scoop this. out the seeds. Uh, I'll tell you something else that I used to have in the lab that I actually do have at my house right now, and that is fruit flies. <laughs> do you have any ether? As you're talking, Dad, I've noticed they have discovered here in the studio that I have this beer open and one just landed on my nose. And so uh, that is a blast from, from my lab past that's now giving me issues that I wish actually wasn't at my home right now. Anyways, uh, I appreciate you indulging this question, Josh. I had a, a good time thinking about it. Uh, as you know, I've, I've thought a long time about if I needed to autoclave something, would an Instant Pot work? So if anybody's tried that, please write to us and let me know because I'm fascinated about doing science experiments at home. I do know some people who cooked a Thanksgiving turkey in their autoclave in the lab. So See, there you go. Kind of the opposite. <laughs> That's a conversation for a different day, Josh. All right, Dan. Well, it is always a pleasure to answer listener emails. So please, if you have a question or a topic idea, we would love to hear it. All you have to do is email us podcast at hellophd.com or you can send us a tweet at hellophd. If you're liking the show, tell a friend, but also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. We love getting your feedback and it helps new listeners to find the show. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button, or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we would appreciate the beer money. Thanks so much to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Tweet to us, write to us, tell us what lab equipment we should have talked about today that I need at home. I may not know. I don't know about double parafilm, so I'm missing out. All right, Josh, well... Great episode. Always enjoy opening the mailbag, and we will see you next time. See you next time, Dan.